Welcome to episode 268 of the No Persinium podcast, the voice of everything immersive. I'm your host, Noah Nelson, coming to you from the No Pro headquarters here in Los Angeles, aka the kitchen table, the source of everything immersive. What a ridiculous thing to say, but I'm enjoying saying it. This week on the show, uh, we have a returning guest who's brought with her a bunch of her collaborators. Uh, the returning guest is Michael Tara Garver of 13EXP, and she's brought along some of her collaborators from the upcoming Rio Reveals project, which is going to be anchored at the LA River. It is, in fact, a project of 13EXP and River LA. For those of you who listened last week, we were also doing an L.A. outdoors-themed show, and uh, the the themes and the environmental theme continues. Joining her are going to be Daniel Pania, Jonathan Samford, and Amanda Yamate, all of whom are working on the Rio Reveals, uh, Rio Records, Rio Records. We got into that a little bit. I keep on messing it up. It's the thing about a homonym. <laughs> And I read it before I hear it, and then it's stuck in my brain, however I heard it in my head. Ah, oh, reader's disease. Anyway, uh, Michael's a long-time uh, friend of the show, uh, has been a guest many a times, has been one of our key speakers in the events that we put together. So uh, it's really great to check in with Michael and see what she's got going and what's going to be happening down by the river uh, coming up over the next couple of months. And there's also an online component. It's a really interesting project and we get into some of the details and there's a big team working on it. And there's going to be more coming out of the 13 EXP shop uh, this year. Um, yeah, you know, it's it's uh, it's an interesting, interesting time. Let's get into a little bit of that before we jump into the main and then uh, maybe a little bit more on the back end. But before we do that, we've got some folks to thank uh, because we are just four backers away, four, one, two, three, four, away from our next big milestone, all right? And at $2 a head, that means we're just, we're just, we're, we're nothing, we're nothing away from our next big milestone. Uh, we're up to 346 backers right now. Our next milestone is 350. And the folks who got us there are Sylvia Wong, Raquel Stevens, Anna Zimhart, Ashley Alexandra-Love, and Fernando Moyo Delgado. Thank you all so much. And again, if I butchered anybody's name, reader's disease, please let me know. I will correct myself live on the air because I uh, yeah, I don't like being wrong ever, uh, especially not on that. And I know it's my biggest problem. All right. Well, my biggest problem in this context, I got bigger problems, usually in the form of morning buns. Um, okay. <laughs> Oh, let's not go there. Uh, the sustaining backers of No Persinium are Mark Baltazar, Jan Budman, Paul F., Lonnie Hansen, Ari Hurston, Sam Kinkin, Samuel Mystery, Sidney Guillory, Jeremy Charles Hahn, Emily Gillette, Brittany, and Elaine. You can join them at patreon.com slash no Persinium. Hey, look, uh, I'll be honest with you. Uh, this is what we do all the time. And I make less than minimum wage doing this. So just wink, wink, nudge, nudge, go to the Patreon. Keep us alive. Literally alive. That SBA loan's only going to last so long. Thanks to everybody who came around this past weekend. Everyone who uh, is a no-pro backer uh, had the right to show up to the rate. 
clearly I don't write these things. I write other things. Oh boy, we'll talk about that. Um, <laughs> uh, had had the uh, had yeah the privilege the right I don't know right it wasn't privilege you pay for it. Uh, if you were no pro backer or a here badge holder, you were invited. Ah, see there we go. That's the right word. Uh, you were invited to our online oasis weekend this past weekend. I had about fifty people show up all together. Uh, there was some stuff in Zoom. There were some sessions in Discord. Uh, we definitely came close to maxing out some of the Discord rooms. We are exploring uh, exactly how to manifest some things online, and we're just going to keep on playing with stuff, and we're going to keep on letting our badge holders and our backers be our, uh, you know, um, uh, beta testers. Yes, that's that's the term, beta testers, for what we're up to. Uh, and there's going to be... Um, I think some of the stuff was a success and other things were bumpy and that's the way it goes. It's also why we didn't do a big deal about selling tickets to the thing because it's 2020. Um, and it has been the 20th of 2020s. Ooh, let me tell you, crystal clear vision here, right? Here in what I call Truthtober. Uh, October's coming with a, like a lion roaring and uh, and and a scorpion stinging. Uh, Scorpio season's coming up, I know, because I'm a Scorpio, and I'm very excited, excited. Uh, which brings us to the note that, yes, the coffee is working, which brings us to the note that um, we will have a podcast next week. Uh, and then I will drop the long-promised, in the can, and at this point, almost infamous last episodes of the DuckTales series. Uh, it's just been hell lately. I will drop those in so that there is something in the feed on my birthday week. Uh, but indeed, uh, the week before the 24th, that starts on the 17th, uh, I will be uh, taking the time off. Uh, because uh, it's tradition. I take I take that week off. Uh, there'll be no newsletter that week. Uh, and indeed, Catherine, who, of course, is responsible for the vast majority of what's going on on the website, uh, is in the middle of some grad school projects. And so she's got to take some time back. Everything will continue to move forward. There'll be stuff on the website, yada, yada, yada. Uh, but just know that we, I won't be around and Catherine's time will be impacted. So that week's going to be a light week, most likely. Um, obviously, you know, something happens. I'm a newsman. I can't not. But I got to unplug <laughs> or I'm going to die. That's probably not an exaggeration. Um, yeah. So there's your programming note. And what is next week's episode? I don't know. Will it just be an after dark or a host only or a team speak? Probably. Uh, will we be back the following week with episodes with people again? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. There's plenty to do and plenty to talk about. More on that on the back end. Right now, if you are new to this and you're like, I know, Michael, I want to listen to this podcast. You're like, what is going on? Why? Also, you probably skipped over all this. And you know what? I'm not mad. I probably would, too. All right. With that in mind, here's a little music to take us in to the interview. I 
Hey, everybody. Uh, we've got a lot of guests tonight, so we're gonna you're going to have a lot of voices to track. We'll get to that in one second. But first, returning to the show is Michael Tara Garver. Hey, Michael. Hi. <laughs> so we've, <laughs> we've danced this dance a few times. Yes, um, we have. And, and we're, we're now, we've, we've talked about what's great is like on the show, we've talked about 13 EXP as something, uh, that was coming and, and now we get to talk about 13 EXP as some, as an entity that is producing work and producing work in Los Angeles of all places. So, uh, hopefully you can tell us a bit about that and tell us who, uh, you've brought to the show tonight. Yes. Um, hi everybody. Uh, so I'm Michael Tara Garver. I am the founder of 13 EXP and I um, will talk a little bit about what that is, but I am the director of a project happening right now uh, called Rio Reveals uh, around the LA River. Um, and I'm going to introduce my friend, Jonathan Sanford. Jonathan, you want to introduce yourself and then pass the mic? Hi, my name is Jonathan Sanford, he, him. I'm a composer on this Real Reveals project. I typically write music for film and television, but here we are in Real Reveals. I will <laughs> pass the mic to Amanda. Hey, I am Amanda. I use they, them pronouns. I'm the associate composer, um, usually composing for picture, and yeah, excited to be on this experiential project. Oh yeah, I will pass the mic to Daniel. <laughs> Thanks so much. Uh, hey everyone, I'm Daniel Pinilla. I'm the experiential producer for Real Reveals. Uh, I use he, him pronouns. Um, I'm excited to be here with everyone. And this is oh. Michael. I use uh, she, her pronouns. And also, I just want to flag these are three of like, I don't know, 40 plus creatives on this project, uh, all of whom are awesome. So I'm super excited that these three folks have joined me. And just before, just before anyone uh, wigs out on me, everyone's saying pass the mic, but just to be sure, everyone's in different spaces. We're recording this over the internet. I loved it. It was, it was totally cute and great. And about halfway through, I was like, oh my God, people are going to think that we're like not sheltering no. in place. So we're fully safe. We're fully safe. This is a COVID safe podcast and a COVID safe production, um, which... Which actually, uh, just to tag for a second, this this is a this is a live production that's going to be happening, or at least part of it's live production happening here in LA. Well, it's all live. Um, one of which will be experienced through a car, and we can talk a little bit about how the project itself, Rio Reveals, is going to manifest itself in several experiences with audiences. Which Noah, you know, I've been like a proponent of for a long time, which is how do we build a story world and then have it actualize itself in multiple ways. So. We're doing one of those experiences. We're beta testing it just for a weekend with um, the donors of River LA and some friends and family to bring it back later. And then um, in November 19th, we actually have tickets on sale already for a digital experience that will also happen live of this same story world with a completely different experience called Rio Records. So, um, and that you can do from anywhere. But that opens November 19th, but the tickets are on sale now. So we are in the midst of one massive Uber world and developing the way it gets realized in two exper- two different experiences with multiple threads in all of them because I like to make my life complicated, I think. It must be that. Right, Jonathan? That's pretty much always been my MO. 
something. Yeah, but you don't, you're not you're not shy. You're not shying away from anything. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So yeah. Um, I know. I, I think when we were setting things up, I, I talked about you know wanting to talk about some of the process here, but I want to get like ultra nerdy for a second. So Jonathan and Amanda, y'all do music for screen for the most part. Uh, how is this? How is this different? How is doing experiential this project, uh, particularly because some of it's digital, some of it's involving cars? Like how? How is this an alien feeling beast here, or or is this just like the challenge you've been waiting your whole lives for? I, I'm, I'll jump in first. This is Jonathan. I feel like yes, it's the challenge I've been waiting my whole life for. <laughs> I, you know, once upon a time in school, I would write, I wrote a musical, and working things with things that are live on stage, and then playing in bands is kind of the same thing. The first challenge here with this one is. When you're dealing with picture, you're thinking, is it a really big theater with big speakers or is it a TV at home or it might even be a commercial on someone's cell phone? And the first thing we that we came across with this was how the music was being played back. Mm. And that's like the first like, well, how do you write for that? Um, because it's going to sound this way. Uh, but then that space is going to change. And, you know, these different things are going to change. It's like, how do you work with that? So thinking about the environment first, right? Are you inside? Are you outside? Are you in a small space, a big space? Is there amplification? Um, is everything acoustic was probably the first thing to think about that I don't typically think about when I sit down to write. Amanda, how about for you? Yeah, I'll jump in. Um, hearing that tidbit of audio that you said, that was like, what I've been waiting for my whole life. That sounds really cool. I'm just going to roll with that. <laughs> um, but no, I think that I got into scoring initially because I wanted to score stories that mattered to me. Um, I feel like that's in like all my little bio tidbits that I have to uh, deliver places. But yeah, I'm really excited to just be writing music for something that actually matters and is going to like improve the city I was born and raised in. And I think the way Jonathan and I are going about it um, with all of the other creative heads is like being able to write and record uh, players that are native to LA. Like um, Daniel is helping me reach out to like a Tongva native um, right now so we can get like indigenous voices in there. And I'm trying to get friend who plays like punk guitar um and then all of that's gonna feed into like hopefully actual change for for our community so that's that excites me maybe daniel and michael could talk about aspects of that approach of bringing in members of the community and this whole project is connected to river la a nonprofit organization so it's 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 a different kind of stakeholder than a commercial producer, right? So it's not just a bunch of, you know, you know, folks who love making money, doing entertainment, uh, making a project. This, this is, uh, this has got a point and a purpose, but also probably like a totally different set of expectations. <laughs> uh, I'll start a little and then I'll pass to Daniel, not in person, but just pass. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, I think, 
I have been, I, I think when I first started experiential two decades ago, and just so we're clear on this call, I've known Jonathan for that long. Um, and I was doing some of that early work. The way that exper I came to experiential was about solving a problem at the time, which was how post-September 11th did we raise money for a nonprofit? How did we connect to businesses that were trying to revitalize themselves? How did we how did we tell amazing, entertaining stories, but also how did we, how did arts become a thing that was um, productive? And also how did everyone get paid? Um, these are the things that were important to me 20 years ago and now 20 years later are just as important to me. And I succeed at those things as much as I attempt and, you know, just miss those things. So you're always trying, like those are big goals to all fill at the same time. And in this moment, um, you know, I don't know how many times we've heard people say that <laughs> uh, in this moment, you know, that innovation around and thinking around how does this project, I think it's not about solving a problem, but like meet the needs of a lot of different things, right? Amanda spoke to how we're working very hard to make sure this represents a multiplicity of voices around the river. Um, and yet also acknowledging that, that will, it will never represent all we, you can't, you can, you are constantly striving to do that. Right. And to represent as many as you can. And then I think, how do we also, you know, this started because river LA basically had, there's a board member, Christina Z Holly, she goes by Z and their head of the board, Harry Chandler, who were introduced to me through actually someone through the immersive network, Sean Stewart. And they wanted to do something different than their fall gala. And um, as many people who know, who've worked with me, like don't throw down that kind of gauntlet to me because then um, I will take it. And uh, that is what happened. And I took that gauntlet and we created this whole world and they have commissioned us to create this for this period of time. And we co-own the creative material um, with River LA, simply that River LA has first right to produce it um, and to get the financial resources for it. So it's this cycle that is both putting a tremendous amount of artists to work and also bringing excitement and energy and knowledge and curiosity and imagination around the river in ways that it hasn't happened before, I think, or in ways that it has happened in small installations. Um, but I think it definitely, I mean, Daniel, maybe you want to speak to that. I know you've done some work with that before, but also I love what you've said to me before that like, this is a project about partnerships. I don't want to say it for you, but also this has been a time that's also, you know, we're doing it fast. So it's like, how yeah. do you, how do you be thoughtful yeah. and make sure you're being thoughtful and also, open a show in two months and acknowledge what it is really, you know? Yeah, no, thanks. I think it, it, it very much is a, a project of, of partnerships and relationships um, and relationships with folks that ca are living in totally different worlds and experiences <laughs> uh, professionally and just, uh, you know, individually what they're looking for. Um, so I think when Michael first approached me for it, I think that was our first way into our conversation, I think, was our connection and relationship to our own worlds, right? Um, so uh, my background is in theater as an actor. 
Um, and that's how I came into finding my way into the nonprofit and exper experiential produ producing world. And so the first conversation, you know, we, we talked about that and, and this need and desire to find these innovative ways to answer these challenges. And on, for me on a personal level is, you know, how do I share all the experiences that I'm able to, that I've been able to be a part of all the stories, the ways of telling stories uh, with folks that may not have a connection to or access to or an, an understanding of this uh, creative, artistic uh, production world. And so kind of going from there, I think that was one of the, the first things that definitely attracted to me and, and having worked with nonprofits before is it's such an interesting balance because the nonprofit has this mission and there's this, these whys and these cultures that they're so anchored and rooted in. And, and River LA is a prime example of that, like what their values and their whys are. And then they want to expand to this group of uh, creative professionals that is also rooted in, in these deep values and, and movements. And where are those moments of connection, of wanting to do something together um, that is gonna, like Amanda was saying, to, you know, bring some change to the community. Then where are those points of disconnection, right? Is, <laughs> is how we do it. And the, the language that we speak with each other and the timelines, and this one has been uh, one of the most, especially recently, but one of the most um, condensed timelines, I think that we've had uh, to create something really amazing and magical, but we're creating in a span of like, you know, three to four weeks, what typically takes months. <laughs> so navigating that as well, and, and making sure that we are uh, taking into account the needs of River LA and their communities in itself has been an interesting and quick just kind of mesh. I don't know if anyone else has thoughts on that too. I, I also think it's about, I genuinely believe this, but, and sure it could all go knock on all the wood, but it could all go awry, this Michael, but like the beauty of this is even through a short period of time, I genuinely believe River LA is committed to Rio reveals as an experiential world for the long haul. And that's mm -hmm. what's making this possible, right? Mm -hmm. It wasn't like, okay, let's make this show for this one night. Like they really somehow, and it's taken time, but understood me saying, look, we're going to go into a, a composing room and into a writer's room and into a design room and into all these rooms. And we're going to create a whole world of the worlds that exist in the river. The river is many tributaries coming together. Many stories coming together it is not one. And this field experiential has the greatest opportunity to not be one thing, not in the pop culture narrative world. It's like pluralistic stories as does music. It's not one thing. It's layers of things and they're all true. And so we said we're going to develop that and we're going to bring it to life in this one way for Firefly Nights and we're going to bring it to life in this other way for Rio Records, but we're also going to have this wealth of depth in the stories that we could come back in March and build a new version of Rio Records down the road that continues to bring resources to these artists and to River LA. And that's the kind of innovative thinking that has not gotten to happen in our field and, you know, they, they are trusting me and that's a lot I feel on a personal level like always with this work like I feel a huge sense of responsibility to them and to the artists and to the audience and to our community for around our safety and all those things but I do think that these longer term commitments of partnership allow 
for this first iteration to be extraordinary, but also a first iteration. And with the understanding that there will be and the belief that there can be a future um, and that continues to bring resources to artists and River LA. I wonder if maybe Amanda could talk a bit about, you know, being an Angelino and, you know, their relationship to the river um, and, and, and this, this prospect of, of getting, getting some of uh, what, what they're seeing in the project manifested through other LA artists. Cause you touched on that for a second. And I just thought there was something really interesting that I don't know if you, you got a chance to check it out, but when the, Oh, what's it called? It's that, it's that old residence hotel type place, like down in the arts district. Um, the American hotel? The American no. Uh, oh. <laughs> Wait, I know Daniel... what you're talking about. It's yeah. like, it's like uh, the Rendon, man. the Rendon, when they, when they did the, the, the music night at the, at, at the Rendon. And it was like mm. every single, like, it was just like, it was like an international collection of, of musicians, like all these different styles, all playing this one piece, like in, in their own way. It was, it was really kind of incredible. Um, and, and I just got a little bit of a vibe when you were talking about, you know, bringing in LA artists to manifest a, a very LA piece. Yeah. Um, okay, I didn't know about that night, but that sounds so cool, and I'm very sad I missed it. Uh, I yeah, I'm sad we can't do it again right now. Like, really yeah. sad. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so that's a great question. I mean, when I hopped on this project, Jonathan was like, okay, just, you know, start the creative by thinking about, like, what does the river mean to you? And I was so shook. I was like, I have been here 27 years, and I do not know anything about the river. Um so I did a bunch of research and just found out some incredible things about it and like gained all this hope as, you know, the project is supposed to bring to the community. And I'm really excited to be on the music team for this because, I mean, I grew up um, sneaking into like the piano bar in Hollywood, listening to like Kamasi Washington and his band um, have their nightly or their weekly residency. Um, I've just been here so long and I think, I don't know, people outside of LA move here and have this really skewed view of like what the art scene is like. And I don't know, local, local arts so dominated by, um, pop culture, um, that I don't know. I'm just excited to bring just what I've actually heard growing up, um, I want to bring these voices to the river and have them be like the voice of the river, if that makes sense. Absolutely. It's all very like conceptual, but I think that we were thinking that the river itself has been sort of like tarnished and like forgotten. And I want to bring the music of communities and people in LA who have amazing art, who have also sort of been forgotten, like still today. Um, and by doing that, we're healing the river and hopefully like bringing some healing into our community too. Yeah, I think, Amanda, that's beautiful. This is Michael and maybe Daniel or Jonathan. Jonathan, I, I'm interested in like, 
we also brought in this collaborating. We have a ton of collaborators, so many collaborators uh, who, you know, if I started to name them right now, we would, we would, that would be the end of the podcast. Um, <laughs> but uh, we are collaborating with a dance company, LA based dance company, Contratiempo. And that's been really amazing, even in the speed to see how, you know, we're also co- collaborating with a lyricist, Nikki Morissette and um, writers, Maria Angelica Molina, Jacqueline Baca, see Jason Platt, see it starting and then yeah, yeah. But, um, <laughs> but the thing with Contratiempo is really interesting because it's also like especially in how we've started Firefly Nights like the body as music as well and the that as like a core source. I don't know if you want to speak to Jonathan how that's. Yeah, this is Jonathan. Contratiempo when they were first introduced to us and we watched some of their work and some of their videos and really got into them on their own. They're just inspiring from the way they move to the music that they use. And they're really a part of their music. Um, they have an incredible percussionist, uh, incredible singer, and all those things are a part of real reveals. Like the collaboration is so deep. And when we were talking earlier about, you know, how do we get everything heard? How do we not miss anything? But when you have so many people together, working together, you know, you do something and someone's like, hey, but what about this thing? Or did you think about that? And Contratiempo, when they're bringing to the music, they're really deep in some of this music, whether it's like Afro-Cuban music, Latinx music, all, you know, you know, it's just amazing. And their knowledge of the types of rhythms and dances, and it's really infused the things Amanda and I are doing. I mean, it's really, the collaboration just hits at so many levels. Um, working with Nikki Morissette as a singer and a songwriter on this, it's, it's, just pretty, it's pretty deep. And I think it's just helping the, the spectrum grow down to like the smallest nuance, right? Like there's everything is coming together. I mean, we talked about this idea that the river is a reflection of its people. And we're, you know, we're getting all these voices heard, literally and figuratively heard uh, through this. Oh, go for it. Daniel, you've worked with Contratiempo before, but I also think like there's, I mean, again, there's also, I'm thinking about, and maybe I'm passing this to Daniel to think about like the thing I always think is the beauty of this work is that in the quote unquote writer's room, like Jonathan just said, you know, we, even though we have these quick moments, it's how do I, as a director, create space in a, or create the feeling of an expansive time of collaboration, even in short periods of time. And in these like short, even hour sprint design meetings, I've seen Jonathan and Amanda share music that Contratiempo is feeling connected to and can respond to and a writer is responding to, but also thinking about, and Daniel, this is where I'm passing to you, is like, the technology and the technicians and the craft is also as much, just like Jonathan said, as much a part of the early design. It's not just content and then let's design for it. Even just how we manifest all of this brings in different perspectives. Um, Yeah, yeah. I think that touches on, uh, I mean, there's so many layers and so many worlds and so many different ways to approach what we're creating together and all the collaboration that's happening. But in the technology front, it, it's processing. Uh, I mean, first, just I mean, in the in the current times, right? How do we all do something where normally we're in the same space? 
mm-hmm. we're, we're vibing together and we're, we're connecting, we're able to, to touch and we're able to see each other's facial expressions. And now we're in the space where we're seeing each other across the screen. Right. And I think the, it's been very challenging at times, but also the, the beauty has been, I think folks have been saying, right, that there has been these really deep touching moments of, of okay, we're there. Like we, we found that synergy through it. And then the next part is as we're, dis- as we're discovering this and as we're going through and feeling that and experiencing, I, I think back specifically actually to Jonathan and, and Amanda, like shared um, at one of our earlier meetings, uh, this, the, their kind of story and, and this brief and, and their journey that they're using to create their music with. And I just remember seeing everyone's faces on Zoom and all of us were like jaw dropped. And I think, you know, Michael, like we slacked each other. We're like, I'm in tears, I'm in tears. And it's moments like that, right, that for us bring those moments of creators and collaborators. We're like, yes, this is, this is it. We're feeling that vibe. But then it's, it's at the same time, at that same speed, the question of will this translate to the audience that's coming in and, and in their cars and in their vehicles? Will this translate when they're hearing the, the music through uh, you know, a speaker projected in, in a stable uh, you know, near North Outwater? Like, is this these, and then there are these moments that want to be really big and these moments that want to be really intimate. And how do we do that with not just the technological aspect, but also with maintaining this COVID safety of, you know, distance. Um, And how how does COVID safety become, like for me, any of that stuff, right? It becomes a like creative challenge mm -hmm. or a creative boundary that then you know let's push all the boundaries of what it is to experience something inside of a car and so like the conversation we had this afternoon was like Jonathan Amanda Nikki who's writing lyrics and then Will Pickens who is our sound designer and Daniel has been a part of that conversation too and we're talking about you know sound in small spaces sound in big spaces sound that will ultimately be recorded sound that will happen live sound that will happen through computers sound that may just be the only part like you're everything starts to be about how do we meet people in these new spaces <laughs> with sound or how do we meet people in these new spaces with light and with bodies you know because they are still just new spaces for us um yeah it's challenging I think the wonderful part about it is taking that challenge is creating this new experience where at a point someone COVID or not would want this experience done this way, if that makes sense. That's our hope, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. That's, that's the goal right now, I think is to be making work that transcends the moment because the moment itself is so awful. Well, and also like, how when we first started looking at this you know everybody in theater everywhere is trying to solve this thing and instead of trying to solve it it was like okay what do audiences want right now like what are we all craving and I think Amanda spoke to this and I also think Daniel as well it's like I also don't want to make this no offense to our audience, but I'm interested in how we make this for, I think this is actually a moment where people who might not have gone to a something immersive before might try something <laughs> if it's safe. And it's not just for those who have done immersive before. It is for an audience that's really seeking something right now, you know, to break up the time at home and the, the noise. 
Daniel, is that part of your creative brief here as the experiential producer to to be thinking about how folks who are completely unfamiliar with an experiential piece would be curious uh, are, are coming into these spaces that that you're negotiating these these spaces out in the world? Yeah, I think uh, that's something that just the word experiential in itself, like, what does that mean? I, I, I joke all the time because I'm like, my family still has no clue what I do. Yeah. Uh, as much as I explain it, like, so you kind of are still doing theater, you're kind of still direct, you're kind of still doing this, but you're also, um, so I think that in itself is what do you mean by experiential? Um, and so there's this, it, there's this interesting thing, which I think happens in any kind of creation, but I think it's heightened in, in, in producing, creating experiential. It's really that feeling of once you experience, you'll know. Once you're there, you'll get it. Now, as we're creating it, our goal is that once you experience, you get it. And it was this experience that you want to continue to doing. But I've also been a part of things. and know it's also possible to be like, oh, that was awkward. That was uncomfortable. I don't really want to do that again. Um, but yeah, so it's looking at to, again, how do all these conversations and Slack messages and, and emails and phone calls ultimately lead to being able to create a space in a world that people can enter and feel like they've already known it, but are in a place that they never even could have imagined at the same time. That to me is like one of the things that for me is at the heart of creating a, a, a strong experiential, you know, moment. I don't want to, you know, make it a good or bad thing or positive, but just a, a yeah. lasting, impacting experiential moment is being able to have that sense of this is what I've always wanted and I didn't know I wanted it. But now that I have it, it's going to be a part of me and something that I'm going to continue to seek. Um, yeah, I would love to be able to do that with this project for sure. I also think, yeah, like that thing you just said, Daniel, I love, I think it's one of the first things we connected on, which is like, you know, or why I seek this work or why I'm obsessed with this work is that in it at its best, you feel more present than you do normally. Like, or it reminds you to be really present because the world is kind of, it's at least the work I like to make is not about, ignoring the world we're in it's about bringing the poetry out of the world we're in or like exploding that or and and your place inside of it like feeling like a star amidst a constellation um and 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 i do think daniel the thing you're speaking to which is even more important right now is we can't push audiences there we have to like we have to create like gentle buoys in an in a river that like allow them to move without us touching pushing prodding which i've never wanted to do but in particular now like how do you create a directed freedom to find something but also to feel safe i want to ask all of you because the la river is such an interesting creature <laughs> um it's 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 a fascinating place. It is readily ignored by everyone in town as, as it's just for a lot of people, it's like, it's that thing by the freeway. Uh, and, and they don't really know what's there. And yet it is such a vital part of the city's identity um, from, from inception and from before, long before it was a city. 
uh, as long as humans have been here. It's it's a key part. So I'm wondering what, as part of this process of working on this production, uh, what have you learned about the river that has has an, um, has an, at least intrigued you? Oh my gosh, I'm obsessed with the river now. I this is the problem. I I mean, I was I'm also in the writers room this week and like we're creating stories of characters that are based on actual kind of research. The team is creating those like that go all the way back to the 1700s and the kind of uh, spiritual relationship and even before that to like Tongva and relationships of the spirits of the river all the way to like a future imagined Tongva land uh, of how we survive down the road being this source of fresh water. I mean, and River LA, I'll be, you know, this isn't a commercial for them. Like I am genuinely appreciative of an interest. I, I was curious about the river, but I feel like, you know, I, I now feel like I could make this project forever you know, there's so, it's just so, there's so much, I mean, it's 51 miles long, you know, um, uh, that's not particularly compelling what I just said. It's just like, I love it. <laughs> I don't know, Jonathan, Amanda, Daniel, like, yeah, it's just as much of a river story, I think, as any great river that we have in this country, yeah. really. I mean, think of the Tonga that lived for thousands of years, uh, were sustained by the river and, I mean, even today, I mean, there's parts of it you can fish or kayak in. And, you know, I did not, I've lived here for a, a lot of years now. And it was always just something that I thought, you know, got high when it rained a lot. Um, you know, it was like this thing, but it's just, yeah, it's the story of the LA River is the same as any river to me that I found. And it's it, it's vast. And I think what Michael's talking about, like you could you could do stuff on the river exclusively and have a full life, a full, you know, place to create um, and many stories to tell. It's, it's just, for me, my first reaction when I started thinking about the river, I was like, what is the river to me? And it's just like, I realized, oh, it's, it's really just mysterious to me. It's like, who lives there? Who hangs out there? Who goes there? What, you know, I see it in movies and it's car chase scenes. It's so, I mean, there's just so many things and everyone knows it's there. Everyone's seen it a million times, but I don't think anyone's, I shouldn't say anyone, but um, a lot of us haven't thought deeply on it, you know. That's LA my... was formed by like these major floods that happened throughout history and therefore that's why the concrete was there and that those moments in time around industrialization and change, like this also, you know, environmentalism, one could go into that, but like the, it's actually more about like how we as humans are related to our bodies of water, our bodies of nature, um, which there's so many stories involved in that, uh, that just go on and on from, you know, bird life, but also like the mysticism um, and that a river's always moving forward. It always keeps pushing forward. Um, I've talked too much, Daniel, Amanda. <laughs> um, yeah, I think it's also such a great time to have this experiential moment. Um, like, not only are we all indoors turning inward, like, to our, tending to our homes and, like, our emotional worlds, um, and this is part of our home that we're trying to tend to, and 
beyond that, we just experienced and are experiencing some really horrible um, fires from climate change. So I think people are really caring um, in a different way after this summer and this pandemic. Um, and yeah, just reading about how the river used to be like this lush, like wetlands. Like I always just thought we lived in this desert and it wasn't that cool. <laughs> but yeah, hearing that it was like the Tongva people lived in these wetlands and ate off the like luscious acorn trees and fished and survived that way, I think is just really cool. And I'm happy that we're contributing to like, I don't know, re restoring it to that. Yeah. Uh, have, have you all been down to the, to the wetlands part? Like, like where the wetlands have been restored? Not, not the narrows. Cause I'm sure you've all been to the narrows at this point, but further south getting closer to long beach i have not and that's actually one of the things that this for this working on this has done for me is that um you know and i lived in the boyle heights area uh and worked and spent a lot of time there uh but the river so the river connection to me is, is closer to like the fourth street bridge or the sixth street bridge and driving across those in downtown and getting glimpses of the river so this whole honestly and maybe it's my shelter life but the 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 idea that there's actually water in the river and marshlands was a new was a, a new concept for me because every time as I started kind of pulling together my memories and connection to the river, for me it's concrete. Yeah. It's it's not water, it's not these marshlands, it's not these wetlands, it's not these like lush I like being in and you know, oh people canoe down here. I was like, you canoe down this river in LA? <laughs> That's a possibility. <laughs> So no, I haven't been down that far, and that's one of the things that I'm taking with me is just how diverse the river itself is. Yeah, and, the, and there's also this like, I will say this that we are. I just keep thinking as we're saying all this too. It just is making me laugh as we've been thinking about as we're writing. I also think there's a power right now as we've come out of Amanda mentioned this moment. Um, this moment in which like we're visibly seeing in Los Angeles orange skies and that reference to, you know, consistently there's also something in the power of us as creatives and learning about like, actually with attention, a lot can be grown from what this river is with attention and purpose. And this is a, this, that nature actually can have moments of revitalization. And so part of that for us I think has been finding like the joy and the sense of humor and the lightness not because we're making fun but because then we can kind of open ourselves up to like what could be the future of this not just now it's concrete and we're done which is what River LA is doing they're like looking at uh you know visions that are useful for, like that are public and are growing for the future I mean, you speak on something, Michael, that I think is wonderful. I mean, I just think back to March, right? At the end of March during the stay home, how quickly the sky changed in LA. And it's almost like sometimes like, oh, if we just got out of the way a little bit, I feel like sometimes these things would, would probably come back naturally. I mean, it's going to take some help at this point with the LA River, but it's it's amazing. Like, like the life wants to be there. Yeah. 
Uh, I remember like we suddenly had the cleanest air for any urban center in the world. Like within and just walking out on those days when it was the most perfect LA had been probably in a century and a half. And that's that reminder is like, Oh, we do. And then remember when the people started driving again and there were like cars in the street on the regular and just being so disappointed that we were, we were going back to that nonsense. The amazing part is how fast it happened either way, right? How fast it cleared up and how fast it just could go right back to, to where we are right now. Yeah. And you start to have this sense that like, it's weird. It's almost like a hope that maybe the world's a little bit more plastic than we give it credit for. And, and, and maybe, maybe there's some hope here that we can, you know, if, if, if we saw the responsiveness, right? Like that's the, that's the hardest part about all this is that when it comes to big systemic issues, the crisis has built up over time and in these shifts and then arrives, uh, and more and more people are aware as it just refuses to be ignored and then gets to be like, you know, firestorms. Um, but, but the action against it doesn't necessarily have the same, doesn't throw things back all that quickly. But that moment did start to feel like, oh, wait, maybe it is, maybe we will see a change faster if we, if we mend our ways. I also think it's, it's about changing forward. I think that like, you know, I think that there's a desire, there's a place we get into, which is like, oh my gosh, with the dumpster fire that's occurring, we have to, like, how will we get back to, or the way people talk about COVID is like getting back to normal. And, and I think that's going to be not a useful mental model. <laughs> like I think, in anything in the like depth of what we where we are and it's and an experiential as well like i don't mean to whatever but bringing it back to our field i don't want to look at this moment as like this thing happened and then and covid was horrible and we you know obviously what is horrible is so many people losing their jobs so many people losing their lives all of these things are true and it's there's no but it just is and then also what are our next steps and how do we survive and how do we thrive and how do we learn from this moment? Um, I'm thinking about that a lot. Daniel and I have spoken about it. Even in like, how do we learn as artists to be more sustainable and not run ourselves down? Like how do we, and that's that same practice is what you bring when you look at the environment. How do we start to change the way that we look at these things on a sustain in a sustainable way versus a like how much can I get out of it way. <laughs> yeah, that's one of the things that's that's got to be really interesting about working with a nonprofit is, you know, the 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 goal here isn't to make a blockbuster production that then gets replicated everywhere. The goal here is to make something that has a lot of meaning and moves people to action. Um, and it's a goal uh, to be strong enough that we keep doing it not necessarily the same show but that it continues to evolve so like what is the new vision of of blockbuster right like a sustainable thing that can continue and continue to bring in artists and pay artists and thrive and bring attention to the river like it's a different measurement of success and 
and it will bring in financial resources. It's just bringing financial resources to artists and to a nonprofit that's impacting our city. And it feels like to me, this is Jonathan, that it's going to be a very like what's next vibe. Like people will see it. It's kind of like a big, when you look at the history of the Vidra River and things that are happening and things uh, this project is bringing to it, I think it's almost like a nudge. I'm sure someone else will have another idea and use the river for it, uh, whether it's an experience or some other part. I think it's just like an opening another avenue, really. Yeah, I think that, uh, you know, the, the what's next and also the what if. What if uh, another nonprofit uh, partnered with another, you know, experiential or another creative organization? What if we talked about the possibility of doing something site specific? Uh, what if in order, you know, for us to experience it, uh, we did that through story or through movement or through music? And that's, I think, that this relationship specifically, and I think, you know, others that I've been involved with have, have had that as the base. And Riverlay has been really great. Uh, you know, uh, Michael mentioned in, in being open and having that trust and really being able to see beyond uh, what's happening now in the current is like what is possible. And they're doing such a great job of what's going to be possible for them. Like they're never losing sight of what they want to do and who, what the communities they want to work with and they, they go. So yes to the what's next and also yes to the, the what if. And I think, Michael, you were talking about it too, of approaching things as, as identifying the challenge and moving from there. So Firefly Nights is coming up uh, as kind of a preview of some of the work uh, coming up this month. But tickets are on sale right now for Rio Records. Am I Rio Records? Yeah, Rio Records. Rio uh-huh. Records. I keep on. But also records. It's yeah. It's a, it, it's a, it can be any of those things. No, well, no one. I hadn't heard it yet. So it's the same. no, but it actually can. Yeah. With yeah. Where, you know. It, okay, that's good. It's that's the pun good. word is not a pun, but like the many meanings of that yeah. word are being utilized. So. Yeah. Um, so what, so for that project, uh, which is on sale right now, what, what are people getting themselves into? What should, what should they be looking forward to? You're asking a great question, Noah. Um, (laughs) no, I think, so I can sit, let me go back. I'll say one thing just to take one step back, which is, so, uh, maybe Amanda and, and Jonathan can also speak just a second to this, which is. What we've really done, just to, I know I said this slightly at the beginning, is like, even in the score, we're creating, you know, I kind of posed to Jonathan and Amanda, what if there is this massive symphony of all these different threads of music that come together, and that symphony will come to life in one arrangement, and in one unique way, and in a variety of unique ways for Firefly Nights, and then will serve us in a variety of unique ways in Rio Records and be a part of the fabric of that. And there are some performers who will follow through both productions and some that will be, well, I think we'll go deeper into story in Rio Records in a way that we can. And whereas Firefly Nights, because of the cars and because of the distance, there's story, but it's much more like a macro story and a visual and a spectacle and a, and detail is in a different way. Whereas Rio Records, um, yeah, so I think that the, I can go to the details of Rio Records, but I think that like the first ask of it was about how is it all coming of this big orchestration? I don't know, Jonathan, Amanda, if you have thoughts about that and how we're thinking about them both. 
Go for it, Amanda. Go, Jonathan. <laughs> you, you go for it. You go for it. <laughs> um, nope, we have no thoughts. So how how it is a symphony and how it is like threading everything together? Yeah, and I like, think like we had this initial conversation and you guys went off and to be fair, like we were all running at the same time and you came back and you're like, yes, we get this. Like, okay, there's like four movements or three movements and in Rio records, this is how they'll live. And in Firefly Nights, this is how they're living. And yeah, I don't know what the process of that, how that is, has worked. Yeah, I think with the movements, that was like our way of presenting the sonic, world we wanted to build and really like I think in the first meeting all the creative heads came together and were just like talking um and and one thing that's really different from film is like we are hired by directors to make a director's vision come true and you're always sort of mostly like I guess subordinate to that vision in a way and uh, something really refreshing and exciting and sort of nerve wracking, but fun has been like, oh, like we are all sort of just this team. Everybody has an offering and everyone is like, um, not reacting, but um, meshing together. Like every conversation we have, every time we show some music it's like more brain melding into this one vision that keeps getting clearer and clearer. So we, yeah, we just wanted to like show up and like spark imagery or spark inspiration, get people's minds moving, get our minds moving. Um, So we made a four movement symphony that had sort of all the elements, all the themes, all the rhythms that you would hear. Um, And now we're sort of parsing that out, um, given the story that's being written like in parallel um, and creating specific, you know, some of it is like ambient space, like maybe you wouldn't even be noticing the music and it's coming from across the hill or something. And some of these are being, you know, full-fledged numbers. Um, So it's really exciting to just plant these seeds and, every day kind of watch where they're growing towards. And I think the the th- reason, thank you, Amanda, for taking that nudge, because I think the reason I bring that up is Rio Records. The idea is, is that you will go on this digital live journey um, following different narrative stories along the river. And I, I say, like, imagine as if you are, um, as you go and follow your journey, your own journey, what you choose along this kind of interactive digital experience. There are live performers who are at locations along the river. There are, we are, you are traveling through time, you are traveling through space and there are actual, we're making, you know, thinking about how all of that adds up to the music of the future of the river. So even as you participate and buy your ticket for Rio Records and you book it on your night and you go into this digital portal, we're not just using, we're trying, you know, I'll openly say like, we do not have like a high tech backend. We do not have the resource for, resources for some massive high tech backend. What we're doing instead is saying, okay, what are the tools that exist? 
And how do the different stories and different sounds and different music and all those things, how would an audience interact with those through these different tools? And so you could go through Rio Records and follow, you know, the cement layer and his story with his daughter around trying to like cut away the cement to find the fossil underneath that he left behind generations ago or whatever that is. Like, you could be finding that, but you as an audience are tracking those different fossils. But also once he finds that fossil, it turns into something mystical. And I also think that the way the audience participates, what I miss is that I don't necessarily think in this project, I think that it is important for us to all feel our own connection to the earth and to the river, even if it is through a digital portal. So we're also through it creating a way that every night there is a Rio record that is created that only the people who went that night, it reflects their experience and they get that afterwards. So it's connecting music. You can expect, I mean, some of the scenes we've been working on, it's funny. Um, I really want sense of humor in our work. Um, the characters are amazing. It travels through time and I think you'll walk along the river the next time you go and and maybe journey to different locations that you saw through this digital portal and imagine it completely differently. Um, and you could come back and have a different journey. <clears throat> and I'll jump in. And on the technical side of it with the music is a lot of these like main themes and threads from Firefly Nights these have to do with the river do have a life as well in, mm -hmm. in Rio records, because the idea is like from the past to the present, to the future, like the, all these layers are in firefly nights and they kind of work. We're, we're setting ourselves up for with like the space a man is talking about is, is for ways for others to like weave themselves into it. Pretty much actually weave themselves through mm -hmm. it. And part of this record that, Michael is describing that you would have at the end of your journey um, and then using basically the different layers of stuff from Firefight Nights and stuff like that. And uh, there's a bit of, there's some songs that kind of find their own sort of life in the next part. So it really feels cohesive as an entire experience, whether you're doing one or the other or both. Yeah. And Firefly Nights, the goal with that is we're doing kind of the beta test this month for a very small audience, but we've been designing it and building it with the belief with river LA that as safety changes, we'll still do it with cars, but maybe that'll adapt so we can get more audience through it as we really make sure that, you know, we, we can be more, um, you know, we don't want it. We didn't want to, there's a very small number of cars going through at this time as a test um, because we want to be thoughtful and careful. But then at the same time, rear records is literally simultaneously being built. We'll open November 19th. And those tickets are right now on sale for $25. So it's really important to us that access is also a huge part of this um, as well. Well, I know it's going to be great to have something else out in the world to go and, and get re-engaging with something other than going to the store <laughs> or going to work or going to the doctors. So I'm so thankful that this is going to be uh, bringing people down to the river, which is, which is one of my favorite spots in Los Angeles. And I think cool. from what I know where you were, the initial 
uh, Firefly Nights uh, plan is. It, that is indeed one of my actual favorite spots in Los Angeles. So uh, really excited that people get to discover it. Um, thank you all so much for spending the night here with me talking about this. And uh, I, I look forward to uh, seeing, seeing and hearing the fruits of, uh, of the work soon enough. Can I say the Thanks thing, so which is go to rioreveals.com. That is where you go to find all the information for for this project and as it continues to go. And also, please go to 13exp.com. We have some other awesome things and projects in, in development. This is the one right now. But um, that was my little plug. Did you see the plug? I did it. I did a plug. <laughs> Good job. I've learned. I've listened to enough podcasts. You're supposed to do a plug, right? Exactly. All right. Michael, Jonathan, Amanda, and Daniel, thank you all so much. Once again, I want to thank Michael, Daniel, Jonathan, and Amanda for being our guests on the show. And indeed, go to RioReveals.com to check out information about all the projects that are falling under this rubric. All right, uh, let's get into just just a couple of quick things before we go. Um, number one, uh, you will find if you visit uh, the Everything Immersive Facebook group, the here Discord, or the NoPro Slack, you will find revised code of conduct up in all of the group settings. Um, there, uh, there's been some some. Uh, you know, pretty sensitive stories shared inside the Facebook group of late. Uh, we currently have things on post approval uh, just to make sure that the mod team is informed of what's going on because um, a thing we don't want to have happen when someone comes forward is for that person to then get attacked um, without us knowing that that could happen and without us being able to step in. Uh, in the past, People have often approached us uh, if they've got something, uh, and sometimes people haven't. Um, but we try and do what we can to, uh, you know, maintain the integrity of the discussion, which can be really difficult if you find out that it's happening when you're, I don't know, driving your mother to a doctor's appointment. So um, you you try managing a Facebook group while you're driving on the freeway in Los Angeles. What? No, you're not supposed to do that. Yeah, I know, I know. So. Um, <laughs> we have uh, put post approval on just to make sure that that doesn't occur and also to make sure that folks are are really ready if they're going to step forward um because it can be difficult it can be really difficult we also want to make sure that the group knows um where where the where the boundaries are on on certain things uh, the internet is a wild untamed space uh and so far with over 8,000 people in our group, we haven't had anything really that bad happen. Like the worst thing that ever happened in terms of the group integrity is one time someone who's still around, um, you know, started a conversation. Uh, the conversation got very, 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 very dynamic, uh, to say the least, got heated in some spots. And then that person who started the conversation pulled the thread. And in pulling the thread, uh, it upset a whole lot of people and because uh, their posts had disappeared 
And indeed, uh, there's a lot of people who lost trust in the integrity of the group that day. And I'm sure there's some people who still think that we are the ones who pulled the thread. We were not. There's a reason why there's a rule in that group of do not pull the thread without prior notice. It was that day. Um, and indeed, uh, it is a bannable offense now to pull a thread without notice, particularly one that people have invested a lot of time and thought into. Um, so we have, uh, we also recognize that and a framing in general, the reason why I'm talking about this, because this is not about like, oh, you know, so-and-so did this, and I want the principal to do that. No, 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 no. Besides, I'm the principal anyway. Um, <laughs> the buck stops, unfortunately, with me. Some days it's like, oh, boy. And other days it's like, oh, God. The point is, our community is larger than any one technological platform. Sorry for touching the mic. Our community is larger than any one technological platform. It's larger than Facebook. It's larger than Discord. It's larger than Slack. No, I do not mean that we have a larger user base, all right? You know what I'm trying to say here. What I'm saying is we are not bound by a platform, right? The 8,000 people inside the Everything Immersive group are not the community. It is one of the places where the community goes. I like to think of it as Main Street. EI, the Facebook group, is Main Street. EI, the website, is the big billboard over Main Street, like Times Square that everyone can see and go, ooh, look at that, ooh, what's up now? Oh my God, look who that is, right? That's what that is. The Slack is also an open spot. It's, it's a little more professional. It's, it's kind of like the bulletin board outside the co-working space. And then the Discord is literally the co-working space, and you gotta have a membership to go in there, right? Although you can also get a day pass, um, like you do at a co-working space. In fact, I should start thinking about day passes for there. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. Sorry, I get ideas in the middle of rants, but if you listen to the show for a long time, particularly those of you who've been listening from the beginning, you know that. So, <laughs> day, day passes are this way, really like that. Um, it's technically possible. The point is, the community exists as an amalgamation of these spaces from one point of view, but from another point of view, it encompasses these spaces. It touches these spaces, but it is not confined by these spaces. So don't think of the space as the community. That will lead you to some bad choices. Think of the spaces as belonging to the community and the code of conduct now applies across all of them. There are different rules in those spaces because those spaces have different technical abilities and exist for different purposes, right? Obsessive tagging on the Facebook group because Facebook doesn't allow us to do proper threads, right? And post approval so that we can clean things up. Post approval is probably staying on because we're able to take care of all those annoying, like, you know, oh, could you guys tag it this way and this? And like, is this really immersive? And that's all happening behind the scenes and frankly, it's a lot less awkward when that's happening behind the scenes. But it also means that someone just can't bust through and be like, oh, hey, everybody, I need to talk in the town square right now. And that is a problem, okay? And working on it. The Slack is, uh, you know, it can send messages to people's phones really easily, yada, yada, yada. It's very good at threading, very good at channels, really good at maintaining a cohesive conversation also has a hard cap of 10,000 posts overall. 
And Slack's business model does not allow us to just buy capacity. If we wanted to turn the Slack into the central hub and turn on all the features, it would cost us thousands of dollars. I think thousands of dollars a month because it's like five bucks a head or something per person, maybe more. And we got a lot of users, a lot, not a lot of, not all of them are active, but everybody who comes in. So Slack's not great for community, right? The discord actually is really great for community. There's no limit, but there's no threading. There's voice chat, but the voice chat has an upper limit of 50. None of these spaces are perfect. All of them have disadvantages, and it's one of the reasons why we have all of them. Uh, they do different things. We also gate the Discord, right? You got that $2 cover charge a month, right? Which is really nothing, and supports the rest of our work. Come on, guys. Um, most of you do, so it's fine. Well, not, not most of you, but, you know, a better percentage of you than the other platforms. So I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to the other you. Um, that space... Uh, allows us to to like create some more community identity and, and and kind of be more fun and we are looking at the possibility of um, joining forces with some folks to create some other spaces that are purely professional that has a disadvantage too though there are things when when, when bad stuff happens behind the scenes it's not like the public doesn't have a right to know that bad stuff is happening behind the scenes okay and this is by no means unique to our industry. In fact, the one thing that's unique to our industry is that the behavior of cast and crew, which in say in theater or in film is limited in effect to the cast and crew. In our world, it expands into the audience. It expands into the patrons, right? So they have a right to know what's going on behind the scenes or in spaces where things aren't happening the way they should. There's a lot more to this conversation. There are professional standards that need to be developed. And indeed, the Leia team worked for a long time to get stuff together. And the pandemic has really slowed down the efforts there because everyone's life went into chaos. Because of course, none of us are trust fund kids all of us are working professionals. And when this year pulled the rug out from underneath working professionals, it really did a number on us. With that in mind, uh, there's, there's, there's some, I'm, I'm working on getting some of that stuff out into the public eye. And uh, I suspect we'll have that sooner, hopefully before I go on vacation. Um, and I'm, I'm, getting, I'm getting less patient. My patience has run out. It really has. And you, and you wouldn't like me when I'm impatient. I'm terrible. So that's what's up with that. Um, I don't want people to feel like, oh, no, it's all terrible. No, no. What we're seeing right now is good. What we're seeing right now is necessary. Um, you don't change the way culture is created and indeed the way it is produced or the way it is engaged with without confronting some long-held systemic issues and without confronting that, you know, the way things are done may conceal people 
who got ulterior motives, who, you know, want to get off on hurting people even. And in our space, you know, which is relatively new and involves a lot of small pockets and a lot of small clicks and involves, you know, a lot of intense emotions, particularly around, you know, alternate reality type, you know, game groups. There are vulnerabilities in how this is constructed that people of bad intent can exploit. There are conversations for us to have about the very core structures of these things and whether or not uh, we should engage with them as a group. And these are conversations that I want to be, you know, be listening to because some of these, I don't necessarily know what to do. I know it's a lot easier for me to just like either let whatever be whatever or pull the plug really hard on anything. Just be like, no more of these click boom. But the problem is, is that folks on the outside may just gather around there. And then that's where the center of gravity is for the industry as a whole. And there's no way to address it. And we've come into this moment before and we've had people push back on us for coming into the moment. And then years later, it's revealed that those people are the very people who wind up doing bad things again. And so that leaves me really suspicious of anyone who wants us to not have some standards. So just, just, you know, where I'm coming from, if you're pushing back hard, um, I'm looking at you closer, a lot closer, fair warning for the people who bothered to listen this far. Not everybody does. Congratulations. If you are, and you are that type of person, Ooh, you're crafty. Yeah. We'll be doing this forever. Okay. <sighs> Um, enough of that. We're always improving. We're always continuing. Um, in the Facebook group in particular, um, if you have something, if, if there's something going on that you know about that you need to deal with, um, if you have been harmed in some way, we have put on the Facebook group uh, the mods who are approachable and who are willing to take on that work. Um, Catherine... Jeff, Carly, Susan, Ricky, and myself are the currently our first responder team. They're all open to being approached. You can approach them singularly or in pairs if you wish. DM them. Of course, don't expect instant anything. No one's being paid to do this, but we are there for you. And you can talk to who you feel comfortable talking to. All right. Um, and as I noted in the post, you know, they will, um, they will only disclose to that first responder team what you consent for them to disclose. But that first responder team does talk um, kind of like a triage group. You know, it's like, hey, we've got one coming in. What, you know, like, here's what we know. Here's what, where this might affect. You know, here, here's, what we, here's what we know about it. Um, in order to make sure that, you know, what's coming down uh, can be can be handled appropriately out in the open uh, and won't lead to some, you know, won't lead to more damage. We're not trying to get anyone re-traumatized, all right? What we're trying to do is to stop cycles of abuse and harm and make sure that folks are not going into pieces of work or working with people who then make the entire 
world we have toxic to them. I've talked to too many people in the past week about folks who have left the space entire because of it. All right. And by too many, I mean like a handful and that's too many for me. Okay. Um, this is how we proceed. And it's, uh, it's a lot. That's why I've been talking about so much. I'm going to shut up now. So let's do the credits. Thank you all, uh, for those who keep us going. Um, it's awkward to talk about money after something like that, but like, I do want to point out for the record, you know, I'm the only one getting paid and I'm making minimum wage. So just when it's, when it all seems like, wow, this is a lot, you're right. It'd be really great <laughs> if we could get more than one full-time person working in these spaces and not have to sell our souls to a giant corporation or a bunch of investors in order to fund it. Okay. So just that's, that's what I'm talking about here. So here are the people who have put us on that path and start to make that reality possible. And those people are Mark Baltazar, Jan Budman, Paul F., Lonnie Hansen, Ari Hurston, Sam Kinkin, Samuel Mystery, Sidney Guillory, Jeremy Charles Hahn, Emily Gillette, Brittany, and Elaine. You too can help us reach that, that day that remains in the future. Patreon.com slash no proscenium. The music for no proscenium is by Chris Porter of the Speakeasy Society. You can find us at noproscenium.com. You can find us at everythingimmersive.com. You can find us in the Facebook group, Everything Immersive. You can find us at the No Pro Slack to join that. Bit.ly slash capital N, lowercase O, capital P, lowercase R-O, capital S, lowercase Slack, No Pro Slack. will lead you down the pathway to joining the Slack. And if you want to be part of the Discord, where we spin tracks during the day and hang out and have fun little conversations on Discord chat. Become a Patreon backer. It's $2 a month. Patreon.com slash no proscenium. It'll get you in the Discord. All right. That's enough for me. That's enough for now. Thank you all so much. And until next time, thank you for wearing the mask. Mm-hmm.